You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. The Independent Education Evaluation, or IEE, can be a very important part of a family's effort to secure more special education types of services for their child. Dr. Timothy Gunn of Gunn Psychological Services discusses the IEE, including the difference between a psychoeducational assessment and a neuropsychological assessment, along with the different types of treatment options available to students. Enjoy the conversation. Dr. Timothy Gunn, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. You're welcome. Good to be here. And I want to start off with a little bit of a technical thing. Uh, you, you do different types of assessment. We have a psychoeducational assessment and a neuropsychological assessment. What's the differences between those two? So the psychoeducational are the ones you're going to see more commonly from the school district. Um, there, I know they're, it's kind of in vogue now, um, although I haven't seen a lot of them around. But I know some of the school districts are starting to credential um, what they're referring to as school neuropsychologists. Um, so they may do evaluations at the school that are considered neuropsychological evaluations too. But I think in general, um, the school districts are going to do psychoeducational only um, and wouldn't have the you know the capacity to um, conduct neuropsychological evaluations. But so anyone who's seen a psychoeducational evaluation, um, they you know should be generally um, you know consistent with what we would do. Although we we tend to do a little bit more testing um, just to be thorough. Uh, so they uh, consist of a, an mm-hmm. IQ test or an ability test, as well as academic achievement testing, and then a few other uh, tests in there to measure kind of different um, aspects of functioning, like visual, spatial, um, memory, uh, fine motor skills, that sort of thing, uh, generally for uh, special education mm-hmm. eligibility requirements. Um, the students have to have some sort of a processing disorder, uh, particularly as it pertains to qualifying a student. Uh, for special education under the specific learning disorder eligibility. So so we'll include some of those tests to assess mm-hmm. that processing disorder as well. Um, so, for, again, with specific learning disorders, um, the schools want to see um, some sort of discrepancy between the IQ or the ability test and then the academic achievement test. Um, there are a few other ways to qualify, but that's kind of the most common that, that comes up. But, but that's not actually sufficient that they're um, – once that discrepancy exists, there needs to be some um, identified processing um, disorder as well. So, um, so that's where we'll include mm-hmm. some other tests there to assess for those. Uh, thankfully, they've added like phonological processing disorder now as one of the, or phonological as one of the areas where processing disorders can exist. So, uh, just for example, we'll include mm-hmm. um, tests of uh, you know, measuring phonological processing uh, to see if there is the discrepancy that exists there. When it comes to neuropsychological testing, um, it's a more comprehensive evaluation. The, the typical thing that you'll hear, which um, I think I've mentioned in a few different places, but um, I don't find it to be that helpful, um, but I'll just say it. A lot of people will describe neuropsych testing as assessing the relationship between brain and behavior. Um, I, I don't find that okay. that is really all that helpful of a description. I think it's just kind of what everybody <laughs> says, and so they kind of keep saying it. Um, I think it's more useful to think of just being a much more comprehensive assessment that is trying to identify kind of specific brain areas um, or at least uh, parts of brain functioning that might be underlying or explaining why a child is having a specific difficulty. Um, it's, uh, there, it's not an actual invasive test or anything like that. They're all still psychological tests, but the neuropsychologists has had training in 
um, like brain activity and uh, locations of uh, different functions within the brain. Um, and I think maybe most helpful is just kind of like the understanding that that there are very discrete um, parts of like human behavior that are um, that are controlled by very mm-hmm. specific parts of the brain in a lot of a lot of instances. So, kind of for instance, um, just uh, like color vision is one you know one aspect that that is there's one part of the brain that it's it's very rare but it can get damaged so then people can see pretty normally like they can have pretty you know normal sight except for the fact that they don't see any colors um there's another part of the brain that controls like seeing motion so there's been some cases again it's very rare but there's been cases where there's um specific parts of the brain have been damaged and people again can see like completely normally unless something's moving and as soon as it starts moving uh it's like it disappears (laughs) so from the person's perspective it's like they're just seeing all these people sort of popping up and you know disappearing if they were in a you know like a party or something where people are constantly moving around but then there's some people that you know stop and then talk to somebody um so so they get this Mm -hmm, perspective mm -hmm. that things are kind of popping up all over the place and you know disappearing again um so in terms of like more you know educational functioning and whatnot that's like more the goal of the neuropsychologist is figuring out what are some of these more specific brain uh, functions that might be controlling or underlying um, the the child's difficulties in school, be it their attention or their executive functioning, um, which could be things like organization or impulse control, um, as well as uh, different aspects of memory. So we tend to think of memory as one specific thing, but uh, there's actually different parts of the brain that control verbal memory versus visual memory. Um, and what, what do I think of as a rote mm-hmm. or kind of a you know, uh, unrelated, think of like, uh, memorizing a shopping list of kind of just random unrelated pieces of information is different than remembering sure. uh, a story where things are in context. And uh, that's a lot easier to remember or remembering like the, the theme of a book or something like that, um, is, is different. So we'll, the, with the neuropsychological evaluations include measures of visual and verbal memory, um, as well as contextual and rote memory, um, recognition memory versus, you know, immediate recall, uh, that sort of thing. So um, the goal, I'd say, again, kind of in a nutshell, is to be uh, more comprehensive and, and maybe not just identify um, kind of what the difficulty is, uh, but what is underlying the difficulty mm-hmm. to get a better idea of uh, what to do about it. So if I'm getting an IEE for my child, it sounds like I would get the psychoeducational assessment first, Right, and then if things present themselves there, the neuropsychological assessment would help maybe under help us understand the underlying reasons for that. Um, yeah, I think people tend to or do it either of. way. Yeah, I think for us, um, we oftentimes will include some of the neuropsychological components, assuming that person, um, you know, we have some mm-hmm. psychologists that do more strictly mm-hmm. psychoeducational ones and don't have as much um, of the neuropsychological training aspect. Um, but if someone is, you know, is trained in neuropsychology, they're they're likely to probably you know sneak a couple uh, more of the neuropsych tests in there just kind of for their own purposes and they want to you know get a sense for what's going on and obviously be as helpful as possible um so and there is some overlap i think like i mentioned um you know with the uh, psychoeducational evaluation there would be an iq test there would also be an academic achievement test so that would be included within the neuropsychological assessment too i'd say in fact the the psychological or psychoeducational evaluation would be completely um, encompassed within uh, the neuropsychological evaluation, but the neuropsych would just add, mm-hmm. you know, additional uh, tests onto that. 
Um, so okay. they, yeah, you could definitely do either. I think we mostly, um, get those referrals from families who have had a psychoeducational evaluation through the district. Um, and then, you know, they disagree with it for some reason or another and, and are then requesting a, a neuropsychological evaluation. But I know we mm-hmm. have had some where just the, the child has continued to struggle, you know, over time, maybe they've never been properly assessed or something of that nature. And then the families will, will request a neuropsych to begin with. So there's a couple different reasons, but I don't think it would, it would hurt necessarily to start, you know, with a neuropsych either. Sure. So, Dr. Ken, I had a question. You know, when a family comes to see you, they might be in a, a feeling of a lot of stress because they're worried about their child and what the results are going to turn out or be or how it might impact them in the long term. What sort of things do you wish parents understood or at least you want them to understand when, before they walk into the door and they meet with you and the evaluation process begins? Yeah, I would agree. I think what you mentioned about uh, the stress level, I think that's Sure. Uh, definitely one of the big things that we see. I think it is a very stressful process, um, especially by the time we come to an IEE, because I think at, by that point, um, parents have probably been in um, kind of the special education system for a while um, and have perhaps you know, become a little bit uh, skeptical of the, the kind of the school system or maybe some of the specific people that they're working with, you know, within the school system. Mm-hmm. Um and so they oftentimes are you know, kind of just anxious about the whole process and feel like they've had a lot of evaluations that haven't maybe gotten, you know, the information that they want or perhaps even feel like it's been misinterpreted. Um, so I, I think that's one of the most important pieces that I would say just just on the very basic level is to understand that it is truly an independent evaluation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the goal of it and kind of the reason why it's within the federal law is that parents have this opportunity to go outside of the school district where, um, you know, there's, you know, ideally there's, there's no, um, influence, you know, from either the school district or somebody feeling like their job might be in danger, um, right. uh, to, you know, to come up with any kind of certain set of results. So, um, so I think that is the most important piece is that, you know, we, our goal really is to be an independent third party. I think uh, when people come in our office, we even have them sign a consent that explains some of that, that, um, you know, we're very much interested in their perspective. Obviously, we you know, consider the parent to be the expert on their child. So um, their kind of feedback and all the you know, concerns and everything, we spend time, you know, this, to start with just talking with them and getting a sense for what has been gone on um, that's led them, you know, to where they're asking for an IE. Um, but we tell them at the same time, you know, we may, you know, may find that, um, you know, the concern that you have is, you know, it's, it's, not as big an issue as, as you might think it is, um, or it might be a different issue entirely um, that's going on. We've had parents worried about ADHD, and after we do an evaluation, you know, we may determine it's autism or vice versa. You know, we're worried about mm-hmm. autism, and we do an evaluation and find it's really more of an ADHD issue, that sort of thing. Um, so our goal is, you know, we we, we just kind of tell it how it is um, and um, <laughs> with the goal of, of making sure that the child is getting um, the services that they need. And I would say, you know, in my experience, most of the time, um, parents do have a good reason for you know, looking for the evaluation. Um, okay. there's, you know, every once in a while we have folks come in that are really concerned and you know, have a lot of concerns about this or that, or sometimes it's more mild. They just want to get a second opinion as to whether it is my child. Are they really okay now to exit from special education? You know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, there are those where we'll do the assessment and, and say, you know, I think, you know, I think your child is going to be okay. You know, they're, they're, they're ready to move into, um, you know, full-time general ed without 
um, special education supports. But but the majority of times, I, I feel like, and again, because I think the parents, you know, are the experts on their child um, and their sole focus is, you know, just on that, that child or maybe they're, you know, a number of their own children as opposed to like an entire school full of kids. Um, they usually have a good um, reason for needing or, or asking for the IEE. And, um, and we're going to, you know, we're going to find that and offer mm-hmm. recommendations that we think will address it. I think the other thing, if I could add another one that I think is really important. Sure. Um, and I know this is, you know, it's difficult um, because it's just, is a lot of work. You know, I, I really have a lot of respect for parents who, you know, go through this process and um, essentially, even if they're hired, a, if they've hired an advocate or a lawyer, they are, you know, advocates themselves for their own kids. Um, and it is a lot of stress, a lot of work. So and it's easy for me to say, but I think the the follow up part is really important because um, a lot of times I, I find we'll make recommendations um, and then, you know, they they either kind of don't happen or, you know, they do happen, but there's no you know follow up to it. Um, to mm-hmm. make sure that things are kind of proceeding along. Uh, so, for example, one of the things that comes up often um, is we will attend the IEP meetings as well to present the report. And so, you know, through the course of the IEP meeting, everyone will agree there's a child with a reading disorder and the school is going to implement, you know, this this reading program that they have, which might not have been exactly what we'd recommended, but okay, everybody agrees, let's, we'll try this. And, you know, it's, it's never been tried and we'll we'll see what the process is. So. Um, that's one of those situations where what we would really like to see is that after six months, you know, or so of this program, that there is some, some kind of additional follow-up or some objective testing to say, okay, look, the, this, this intervention that we put in place is being successful. You know, the child is improving mm-hmm. their, their reading scores and whatnot. And if that's not happening, then, okay, we need to, you know, look at something else. Um, and I think that's where sometimes things kind of, fall through that um, I, I don't know exactly the reason why, because oftentimes we're not involved, you know, after that, right. we, you know, present our report and go to the IP meeting. Um, and then we don't, you know, we're not really involved anymore. That's more the, the family following up with their uh, advocate and lawyer and such. Um, and so that's, well, yeah, where, I, that's where, oh, go ahead. I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, so, uh, you know, a child comes in and you do an assessment and it's pretty obvious what is, what's going to help this child. I mean, it, it, not to be too cynical, but do you ever feel like, well, that's great, we figured it all out, but the odds of actually getting those services that he or she needs are going to happen or not going to happen? Or, I mean, or do you feel like, ah, we're going to make an impact here? This evaluation is going to have an impact and it's going to be a document that the parents can use successfully for their child's future. What sort of feeling do you, do you get after doing that work? Yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, I, I, for me, the feeling is that we there is now the document that has the potential at least to, you know, to really make a difference for this child. But there is mm-hmm. a lot, I, you know, as you know, every IEP team is different. Every district is different. You know, it seems every school is different. And, and a lot of it does seem like it depends on kind of the, you know, unique players involved in each um, different IEP team um, and to what they're, you know, kind of willing to do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes egos get involved, I think a little bit more than they should um, as well. Sure. So, there have been, you know, I, I think we've seen both where we've had um, kids come in and uh, we make recommendations and then, the, you know, everybody agrees and provides some accommodations or some services that really do make a difference and, and the kids becomes very successful. Um, but there have definitely been some others where, you know, I, I, I used reading because that we have 
just kind of one on my mind right now of a, a kiddo who was mm-hmm. having really pretty severely reading disordered, um, you know, three or four years ago, and have recently come back to to do a reevaluation. And it, I mean, it seems like nothing much has really happened. I mean, the child is still uh, pretty significantly, you know, reading disordered, and um, I don't know. I'm not working directly with the family, um, so I don't know what the what happened, you know, in the, in the interim period, we'll probably figure that out here in the coming weeks. But so I'm not sure if, if, you know, the, um, the parents didn't follow up or if they would, you know, more likely they were promised something, um, and then just didn't happen. You know, I think that's, uh, one of the more frustrating things that I mm-hmm. hear of. And, and I think more frustrating things that the parents will tell us of as well. Um, cause they kind of have to, you know, at some level they, they have to trust that what they're being told or what's written in their IP is, is in fact happening. And if that's you mm-hmm. know two and a half hours a day of you know specialized reading program, you know they they have to trust that that's happening, and it you know might not always be, or at least might not always be in the manner in which um, it was described. Um, right. But even beyond that, you know the point is okay. Well, is it working? You know we we've agreed to do this thing, but if it's not you know working, and there's nobody following up on it to provide you know some either additional testing or just kind of qualitatively through observing the child's grades, observing the child's reading skills, you know, as they're moving on, um, then, you know, ultimately it's not going to be of, you know, a great deal of value. Um, so that's one of the things I would really encourage people to do. Again, I know it's really difficult and stressful and feeling but, like yeah, you're kind of constantly disagreeable, you know, to the school and constantly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about bothering them for things, you know, I know, you know, a lot of people don't like being, um, you know, kind of that, having that role, I guess. Um, but but that is, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think is a really important piece in terms of um, what we like to see happen with the students. We want to see them actually get up to their grade level, you know, if not, you know, their ability level. So I mean, it's a bit of a tangent, but like I'm wondering how much when you meet a family, whether you think to yourself, yes, this family is going to make sure things happen. Or do you think, oh, this family is in this school district. So, yeah, for sure, it's going to happen. Is it is there a little bit of both or do you get a do you even think about that? Do you get a sense of how successful uh, the effort's going to be after the assessment's been done? Um, no, well, I mean, with, at this point, you know, I think we've worked with so many school districts. We do, you know, we do have a little bit of a sense of, uh, you know, some of the districts that tend to be more um, accommodating um, with, mm-hmm. you know, with their special ed. And I think we hear that as well. You know, some of it is through parents that we work with or through advocates and lawyers that we work with who will tell us, you know, XYZ district is, you know, is really... Um, right. You know, accommodating They're you know, usually are, are really good or this, you know, administrator is, is really good. They have, you know, they have a, a child with special needs as well. And so um, they, they tend to be more sympathetic to what the child needs, that sort of thing. Um, and then obviously vice versa, we're, we'll hear, you know, this is really dis- they're difficult to deal with and um, tend to exit kids, you know, without getting much you know, justification for it, that sort of thing. Right. Um, right. So, I, but what, you know, it doesn't really affect our recommendations at all. You know, we, we still focus just on, you know, what the child needs. I, you know, we have to just try to put all that aside and say kind of regardless of, you know, I, there's definitely IEP meetings we go into where we know, okay, this is going to be a little bit contentious. You know, the, the district <laughs> is not going to be happy, you know, with kind of what our findings were um, and what our recommendations are. I don't, you know, they're probably not going to agree with them, but again, that's, you know, it's just kind of part of the job. We have to, you know, put that aside and just deal with the fact that, you, you know, we're not, not going to make everyone happy, right? So, um, so we make the recommendation that we think is 
uh, most appropriate for the child and, you know, kind of deal with the consequences from there. Um, which is not to say, I think, I don't know if people are maybe, you know, listening and just getting into the IEP process. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, the IEPs are shouting match or anything like that, because <laughs> I'd say 90% of the time, everyone's, you know, very cordial and, and appropriate and whatnot. We've had some that are, you know, really uh, get a little bit out of control, but those are definitely the exception. You know, for the most part, everybody's cordial and friendly, um, uh, but they'll, you know, that, but they'll, te- that you, 10% that's fun to talk about with your colleagues, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of have to, you know, people need to decompress after those a little bit. So to get around and try to, you know, comfort one another after, after some of the crazy ones. But, um, so there might, is there a psychologist for psychologists who've dealt with school districts in the 10% area? What's that? Oh, a psychologist for, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Is there a support group perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. I think right. probably it the probably same is. for parents too, I'm sure, you know, there's, yeah. oh, there's plenty of good that. To know, yeah. yeah. It's good to know you're not the only one, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that. But again, they are, you know, usually cordial. I would say, in fact, um, kind of going back to one of your other questions, another important thing that I mentioned was it pertains to, you know, what's really important for parents to know about IEEs. Um, I think it is really important to have an advocate or a lawyer unless, you know, it's, you know, a, a few situations where maybe the family has a really good relationship and they really trust the school district or, um, or the people, you know, specifically on, in their IEP team, uh, or maybe they're an advocate kind of themselves from having gone through the process with another child or that sort of thing. But, but we try to tell people, you know, we're not, you know, that's not really our role to be advocates, you know, if we're in the IEP and they're you know, disagreeing or whatever, obviously we'll respond to it. Um, and, you know, explain why we're recommending the things that we're recommending, but, you know, ultimately the law just says that the school just kind of has to consider our recommendation. You know, they don't necessarily have to yeah. implement anything. So yeah. I think that makes a so really so big difference. So you aren't necessarily the, you aren't necessarily the hero that comes to save the day. No, no, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, we're, you know, maybe like the, the sidekick sort of that, you know, provides so some no, help. No, no capes at all or anything like that. No, no, no. A tie okay. at most, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's your kid. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> but, um, well, but I think that makes, and we've seen it when, you know, and parents actually have talked about that a lot as well as, um, you know, they've gone to IEPs for years and the minute they walk into a meeting with an advocate or a lawyer, it's like the whole atmosphere changes. Everything kind of becomes a lot more serious and you know, everyone's dotting their I's and crossing their T's more. And right. I think that's the same even, you know, with us, um, because I think people know, you know, ultimately the IE evaluator is not going to, you know, like come back after the meeting and, you know, argue about a point or, you know, try to, you know, compel them to provide a service, but they're at the, the parent's advocate or the parent's attorney is, is going to fill that role. Um, so I think that's why it really does change the environment and the possibility of getting the services the child needs. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about the assessment itself? Like if I'm out looking to get an independent evaluation, what, what's a good one look like? Like in the end, what should I find? And also, is it hard to understand it as a parent, uh, what the results say? Um, yeah, it depends. I, uh, the, I'd say the, so the, your first question, uh, in answer to that, um, the, probably the simplest answer I can give is that I'd say a good assessment should provide actual recommendations. Um, for what your child needs. Um, and I guess maybe one step okay. before that, it should be clear as to what they're saying, you know, your child's difficulties are. Um, and, and, you know, and that should make sense as you read through the report. Um, you know, I, even when we're like training psychologists to write reports and whatnot, but 
kind of the goal is almost like you're writing a story. So if, you know, someone does read through the entire report, ideally before they get to the, um, the summary section, they should probably have kind of come up with the same conclusion um, that is in the summary, you know, before they get there, because all the supporting data is before that, uh, that part. Now it might be a little more difficult mm-hmm. to understand, you know, obviously the, the psychological testing results. So, you know, with that caveat aside, um, but at least in, in the summary section, it should be clear, you know, this is what we think the child's difficulty is. Um, this is how we think they should you know, qualify for special education, uh, if indeed they do mm-hmm. qualify. And then there should be pretty specific recommendations as to what, um, what to do about it. Um, now, in terms of the like, difficulty understanding the report, um, again, I'd, I'd say the, probably the um, psychological testing results might be more uh, difficult when you're looking over that section. There's, there's normally some kind of a standard score that just ranks um, mm-hmm. the child against their peers um, in terms of their performance. That should also include a percentile rank. I think I you know, try to encourage people to, to look at that sometimes if they're not familiar with standard scores. That may be the easier way to look at it. Um, oftentimes there's a descriptor involved as well. Like this is average, low average, high average, um, you know, that sort of thing. So that can be kind of a quick way to, to look at things mm-hmm. also. Um, the difficulty, I think, and, and kind of a reason why we uh, will get IE requests is that I think they feel like those descriptors are uh, perhaps a little bit overly broad um, in the assessments that the child has gotten in the past, um, where you know they feel like, okay, well, you said my child's academic achievement was average, but really there's this mm-hmm. score here that's you know at the second percentile. You know that doesn't that doesn't seem average, you know, overall to me, yeah. or, or right. at least in the area of math. You know, they're they're really struggling, even though maybe in reading and writing um, it is average, but that still there's it's not to say that there's not a difficulty in math. So. Um, so I think that that would be the part that um, may be difficult. Again, that should get discussed at the, you know, it's one of the reasons that we're um, at the IEP meeting, um, either in person or at least uh, by phone, uh, to go over those results and answer questions. Um, but it's uh, not, it's not like the recommend, but the recommendations alone are, should be relatively easy to understand. Maybe the details behind the recommendation itself might be a little more difficult, but as a parent, I should be able to read and say, okay, my child needs this or that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That should be pretty clear. And I've seen, you know, I've seen some, um, some reports either through the school district or through other independent evaluators where there's really no, um, there, there's just no recommendations. I, I actually have seen one, I use it as an example, like, you know, there's no personal identifying information in it or anything, but, um, mm. but they're like, I think the family's actually paid out of pocket as somewhere around three to $4,000. And, and they got a very nice report. I mean, there's a lot of testing and whatnot in it. Um, so it's really a nice report up until the recommendation section where you find there's none there. There's just, oh. I don't know what happened. The person <laughs> literally didn't include any recommendations. Um, so I don't, Did they forget to know, copy and paste that part. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the, you know, what the point of that is, you know, I, um, so, so we, we definitely don't want that. Um, you know, <laughs> right. and, and there's, there's others where, you know, you get recommendations that, you know, I, I think the parent should feel like these recommendations make sense, you know, on some level. Um, again, like you're saying, some of the underlying details might not be entirely clear, but they should be able to say, okay, well, you said my child has a reading disorder. So what is the recommendation to address that reading disorder to improve, you know, my son or my daughter's reading level? Um, so that should be pretty clear in there. And then again, if it's not clear, that's something to bring up that the IEP meeting parents should get the reports 
you know, well in advance of the meeting. Um, we always send ours mm-hmm. out to um, to the district as well as to the parent um, on the same day so that everybody, you know, gets it at the same time. And um, and then parent will have an opportunity to read through that in advance. And then um, sometimes they'll check in with us beforehand if they have questions about the report. Um, but sometimes they just kind of make, make notes themselves because so, they know we're going to be at the IP meeting. So um, they can bring up questions there um, and ask at that time. Okay. Well, we're coming towards the end of our time here, Dr. Gunn. I want to ask you the, like the final question, sort of predicting out in the future. I mean, is there any stuff that, say, five, ten years out that, as a psychologist, is exciting to you as far as what we're able to understand about children and the kind of recommendations we're able to give? I know, for example, we're learning a lot more about the brain and those sorts of things. What sort of things do you think we could be talking about in five or ten years that would be just fantastic news? Yeah, that's a really good. Uh, yeah, it's a really good question. I think um, I do think. Yeah, I think we're going to continue to see improvements in a lot of these areas. There's a lot of research into um, the different learning disorders. Um, right now, I, I would say I've mentioned reading disorder several times, um, and there's a lot. You know, really a lot of great research and um, in terms of just kind of what underlies that, as well as what to do in terms of remediating it um, or providing services for kids who struggle with reading. Um, but ideally, to actually improve their reading level, what's been less well researched are the uh, mathematics and writing disorders. Um, there's just been a lot more focus on reading, perhaps because it, it underlies a lot of you know what else goes on. But but I think we'll see more research in that area. Um, autism is another area that I you know there's obviously mm. a lot of uh, focus on that, and you know a lot of improvements have been made in understanding what's going on. But there's still quite a number of mysteries. I think ultimately. Um, researchers would would have to still say, kind of on the whole, we don't really know what even causes autism. There's, you know, we can identify a couple different brain structures. We can maybe identify some various environmental things here and there that sometimes seem like they're implicated, but other times aren't and whatnot. So it's definitely still mysterious on even kind of the more basic level. But um, in terms of what to do about it, um, you know, I think that research is continuing to um, to grow exponentially and, you know, ultimately we'll have better answers in the future and, and hopefully additional more, um, more options. Um, so like right now, a lot of times, uh, social skills groups will be recommended, but it's really difficult to find a social skills group uh, for, you know, one's child uh, in that situation. So it's great to have the recommendation, but then to actually find the service, um, can be pretty frustrating. So, um, I think that we'll continue to see those services expand and whatnot. Um, and maybe, you know, I think the kind of the, the sci-fi um, viewer out there, would, you know, is looking for a, you know, the magic pill that would, you know, cure a reading sure. disorder or cure autism or, you know, and you know, it, some people you're thinking that's just five or 10 years away is what you're saying? Is that what you're going to say? Oh, uh, I, I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> five or 10 years. Yeah. But, you know, you never know. It, it does seem, uh, you know, the world does, you just kind of, from my perspective, it is increasing you know, ex- exponentially, you know, whereas, you know, it took however, you know, almost 2000 years to get to, uh, you know, cellular phones. And, and now it seems like everyone has them and, and they've gotten so much smaller and just, you know, within a period of 15 years and, you know, the, the technology and, um, and a lot of, a lot of that technology sort of thing, I think is what's, um, starting to get applied more towards, um, things like sure, autism yeah. in particular, ADHD. Um, so I, I think as we're continuing to see that, um, you know, it, we'll we'll see some major advances. You know, I think it will look a lot different in five to ten years. Kind of the same. I think if we look just fifteen years ago, 
um, you know, with things like, uh, you know, like with autism, it was, um, you know, there wasn't really much emphasis on it, you know, as, as much as there is today. Um, yeah. and just so much yeah. more is known about it. So I think we'll see yeah, a lot of, a lot of really big improvements, um, probably incorporating, um, technology. And I, I would like to say incorporating, um, you know, other sorts of treatments as well, um, that are really well established and, uh, efficacious, like again, sort of for reading disorders, you know, we, we know what treatments work, but it's just really hard to find people that can do them, you know, and can do them effectively. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some, you know, if, if not research, at least some funding uh, to help provide, uh, those sorts of interventions for the kids who need them. Well, Dr. Timothy Gunn, thanks so much for your time, your information, and most importantly, your optimistic uh, ending here today. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.